evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Uh, first, a uh, little bit of a first here in the history of Carving It Up. So we've done Wednesday shows in the past. Mostly, it's it, I, I do Wednesday shows, at least in, in past years, the day before Thanksgiving, because you're not I'm not going to do show on Thanksgiving Day, because the previous Carving Up schedule was, was Monday, Thursday, Friday, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time. I decided to put this one to Wednesday, Thursday show to Wednesday, just to shake up the schedule a little bit, give a little bit of space, a little bit of time in between shows. So looking forward to, hope you guys like the new change as well. Definitely be uh, feel free to chime in in the comment section. We've got a great show on tap for you guys tonight. The Trey Lance news broke about... Uh, three hours ago saying that, hey, he is going to not even be the, the first backup to, to, to Brock Purdy with the San Francisco 49ers. He's going to be the understudy to the understudy, so to speak, to Sam Darnold, who has won the QB2 job in San Francisco. I'll discuss that, what it means for Trey Lance's future. It certainly would appear that his, his time in San Francisco is about to come to an end. There's actually one suitor that appears to be interested, and it's not a team that you would think. I'll get to that on today's show, as well as Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb on Hard Knocks. Uh, last night, Randall Cobb was talking to, to the wide receivers saying like, hey, if if Aaron doesn't trust you, he's not going to throw you the ball. And now you have Corey Davis retiring today. And so it's a little bit of a weird situation regarding the Jets wide receiver situation. I'll get to that also in I'm sorry, AFC North strengths and weaknesses. I've been doing a segment on all of the divisions leading up to the season. I've done both East divisions, AFC and NFC. Now going to the AFC North. So we're talking Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, Browns. Who's got the biggest, you know, what, what are these teams' biggest strengths? What's their biggest weakness? I'll get into that on today's show as well. And at the end of the show, our favorite midweek, and now we can call it Wednesday segment, Carving Up the Context. And I got a good one. I got a good one. I, I got it this morning. I was thinking all week. I'm like, what can I do? And then I got a gym this morning. Uh, I'll, I'll save it. Let's just say it involves a historically great basketball player. I'll leave it at that. But first... Jonathan Taylor, and that situation just continues to develop. I actually talked about it last night. Check out the 8 o'clock spot on the Grid Network, Tuesday nights at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time at night. Great show, great guys, great game show. But talking about Jonathan Taylor, and now the Colts are giving him permission to seek a trade, see what the market looks like. There was actually news that broke today saying that they put a cutoff date, which is Tuesday. Uh, I'm not aware of any, any specific dates in the NFL calendar, or at least the significance that Tuesday has. But be it, you know, as, as it may be, Jonathan Taylor, that's his cutoff date. And I was thinking about, so I've been, I guess I'm slowly garnering a reputation for being somebody who's like anti running back. I'm not anti running back. As a matter of fact, I've been I've been pretty crystal clear. The guys like Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, you know, in this case Jonathan Taylor, I absolutely defend one and get their money. Dalvin Cook even defend these guys 100%. What I have said is that the data very 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 clearly states you do not need an elite running back or heck even that elite of a run game to not even just compete for and win a Super Bowl, just make the playoffs. Again, the Chicago Bears led the NFL in rushing this year, this past year. And they got the number one overall pick of the draft, which they, of course, traded to Carolina, who took Bryce Young. I'm not anti-running back. I am pro-data. I am pro-analytics to a certain degree when they clearly state that they help or don't help you in the long run if you want to win football games at the highest level. But... Notice my two arguments, because I'm not moving off that position until proven otherwise, but notice what I was talking about. Super Bowl. Playoffs. Colts aren't going to either of those this year. 
their their definition of a successful season, the Indianapolis Colts would be very similar to the Houston Texans. I would say even more so because their quarterback prospect is far more raw. It's by week 18, is Anthony Richardson undeniably better than he is going into his first start week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars? If he is, and we've heard the term project be thrown around for, for AR, talking about a guy who has all the upside in the world, the question is whether or not he can meet it. I think uh, Shane Steichen, who's who's done wonders for Justin Herbert, even more so for Jalen Hurts, because he's a very similar prospect to Anthony Richardson. If you look at his his, his tape and his uh, what people are talking about him coming out of Oklahoma, I think it will work from that perspective and that standpoint. But what you want if you're Indianapolis is to say, hey, could we find ourselves in a position where he gets better over the course of the year. Maybe win five or six games. Maybe we surprise people. Maybe there's an upset here. Maybe we upset Jacksonville and, and wreck their chances of getting like the one seed or something. And you go into the 2024 season, or rather 2024 offseason, say we are a significantly better football team today than we were at this time last year and build off of that. Jonathan Taylor would, go, would, would do wonders in terms of helping their young quarterback and helping his development. We know that Anthony Richardson, what has been my biggest question mark, my biggest concern for him, many's biggest concern, 52% completion percentage at Florida. One of the most inaccurate quarterbacks in college football last season. But he went number four. Why? Because he's a freak athlete. Because we've seen quarterbacks of his size, his stature, his athleticism, go on a very successful career, certainly to this point in the NFL. Josh Allen being the prime example. Jalen Hurts, I think, to a lesser degree, has had a very successful career to this point thus far. If you're the Indianapolis Colts, you've got to ask yourself this question. And look, is the relationship between them and Jonathan Taylor too far gone to be mended? Who knows? That, that's another conversation. But let's just say for the sake of argument, no trade happened. Miami or somebody doesn't trade for Jonathan Taylor, and he's a Colt come next Tuesday. I think you sign him to a short-term deal. Whether it's a two-year deal, three-year deal, this is one of the rare instances in which I think you're actually better off giving the running back his money because you're not competing for a Super Bowl. You're not competing for a playoff spot. Your primary objective is for Anthony Richardson to be a significantly better player in Week 18 at the end of the season going to the offseason than he is right now. If that's the case, you've done your job. It's a successful season. Whether you win one game or... Of course, I don't know if he'll have been that, that much of an improvement if you win one game. But whether you win four games or seven games, that'll be a successful season for the Indianapolis Colts. And if you give that rookie quarterback a dual-threat guy, right, the running game to lean on to make the game a little bit easier for him, I think it'll do wonders for him. We've seen quarterbacks in the past. Dak Prescott had Ezekiel Elliott. Dak Prescott is a much better player today. Than he was his rookie year, despite what folks may tell you. Like, oh, Dak was his best year was his rookie year because he only threw four picks. Yeah, but the Cowboys didn't really trust him near as much then as they do now. Dak had Zeke. Dak had that offensive line to sort of help him develop, help him ease in. I know we laugh at Russell Wilson and Tom Matt, is he washed or not? But there was a time in which Russell Wilson was considered a fringe top five quarterback in the NFL back in Seattle. When he had beast mode, when he had off that offensive line, it eased him in. It helped his development. We've seen this with quarterbacks in the past, time and time again. It's only the just otherworldly talents that we've seen, like a Mahomes, like a Burrow, that really don't need a run game at all. Trevor Lawrence really doesn't need a run game. ETN helps, doesn't really need it. Anthony Richardson kind of does, because he's so much more raw of a prospect, so much more raw of a talent. 
So if I'm the Indianapolis Colts, listen, I, I think they've handled this Jonathan Taylor situation about as poorly as one could. I think when you have an owner who has historically treated his players poorly in terms of how he talks about them publicly in the media, in terms of how he, how he negotiates with them. Uh, obviously, Chris Ballard is the general manager, but we know Jim Irsay is is sort of the, uh, the, the the face of that Colts franchise. It's kind of been a it's, it's, it's kind of been a disaster uh, over the past well, really since Peyton Manning left. Certainly since Andrew Luck abruptly retired. But if I'm Indianapolis, I'd, I I would keep I would keep Jonathan Taylor. I think it works for them in the long run. I don't know. I was just thinking about it, and I'm like, for Indianapolis, are they really again? How how much longer? How many more years before we look at the Colts and we're like, okay, because you got to realize Jacksonville's just getting better. Trevor is only going to get better. Uh, Houston, I kind of like Houston uh, among teams that I'm almost certain won't make the playoffs. Houston's got one of the better if for whatever this means. Houston's got one of the better uh, rosters in that regard. Had some good additions in the offseason. I thought they had a solid draft. Obviously got uh, the second overall pick uh, in total. So, uh, l- listen, I-, I don't think that this is a uh, a season that, that the Colts are going to look back and say, hey, you know, I shocked the world, got to the playoffs, won a playoff game. For that reason, I'd bring Jonathan Taylor back. I really would. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, we, we are – so we are two weeks from tomorrow – away from getting to, uh, from getting to week one of the NFL season. So I'm assuming, again, we're, we're, we're trying to work on a set date, trying to work on a potential guest, but I'm assuming two weeks from now, either to the day, so t- two Wednesdays from now, or that Thursday opening night, uh, I will do my NFL preview show. This will be the fourth one that I've done. I, I, I've covered, this will be my fifth season uh, covering the NFL uh, on Carving It Up, uh, my fourth full season doing so. So... I, I, I don't know. You chime in the comments. Get, get, give me whatever feedback you want, whether you want on Wednesday so you have time to watch it before the opening night game or if you want it the night of the opening night games. To, uh, chime in the comments and and let me know because I'm trying to f- figure out a, a good date to do that to really get the content out and, and, and make my predictions as cl- crystal clear as possible, just like the fact that I had the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Rams for the Super Bowl last year. That was my worst pick in the history of the show. Anyways, let's move on to our second topic. I don't, I don't want to think about that. Let's talk about something else I was wrong on. <laughs> and that's that is Trey Lance. So I said going into that 2021 draft, I thought I was as accurate as 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 could be on all of the first round quarterback prospects outside of Trey Lance. I said Trevor is the best talent by far. It's not even close. He'll be a superstar. I said Zach Wilson. Kind of small, not terribly accurate, a little bit arrogant for my taste for the quarterback position. Just, by the way, go. he was going to the New York Jets, which is the organization, as I say, it's the place where young quarterbacks' dreams go to die. It's a good thing they have Aaron Rodgers more and him and the Jets. In our next segment, then we get to Trey Lance, who I'll talk about in just a moment. I said Trey Lance, I think, is a raw prospect, kind of similar to Anthony Richardson, but he's going to Kyle Shanahan. He's going to that loaded Niners roster. This is going to work, and I said he will not be better than Trevor Lawrence. He'll have a better career than Trevor Lawrence, given the support around him. Clearly, I've been wrong thus far on that. I'll get to Trey in just a moment. The fourth quarterback taken was Justin Fields. I said, I think I like him, but it's kind of a wait and see. Where does he end up? And we are still kind of going to year three for Justin Fields, a big prove-it year for him. Wait and see. And then the last quarterback draft, I think I was just as right on him as I was on Trevor Lawrence in the other direction. I said, Mac Jones is a backup quarterback. I think he's pretty much shown that. Trey Lance, though, 
The news broke today that the San Francisco 49ers had named Sam Darnold the backup quarterback to Brock Purdy, meaning Trey Lance is QB3, and they're going to look to move him. And not only are they looking to move him, it sounds like they've been doing so for a very long time, going all the way, all the way back to the Combine. Again, more on that in just a moment. So you're probably asking the question, Bryson, are you willing to finally admit Trey was a bust or is a bust? Not yet. Now, I am absolutely moving off of the, the take I had two and a half years ago that he would have a better career than Trevor Lawrence. That obviously isn't going to happen. Again, the, a, big, a big reason I thought that was going to be the case is because I assumed he was going to get taken third overall by San Francisco. He did. I was ecstatic for the Niners. And then it kind of fell through. He, he made a couple. He had a couple starts his rookie year. He was great in one against. I, th I think it was against Houston, if I'm not mistaken. Was bad another against the Cardinals. Uh, then he started the 2022 season. Played the Bears. Played poorly, albeit it was in a complete rainstorm. And then week two of last season, he unfortunately broke his leg against Seattle, and we haven't seen him make a start since. So. Listen, the, the thing with Trey, and I heard Troy Aikman talk about this. I don't think he was talking about Trey Lance specifically, but he, he he is right. I think he was talking about Sam Howell when he and Joe Buck were calling the the preseason game the other night between the Commanders and the and the Ravens. And he said, "Listen, Sam, uh, Sam Howell doesn't just blow your socks off with his with his talent, but he does the thing that we honestly don't talk about enough in terms of quarterbacks. He delivers the ball on time and on target. Ultimately, that's all that matters." It's all Matt. Listen, Jared Goff is a, is a little too immobile for his taste. Dude, for my taste, crazy accurate. Kirk Cousins has never had really had an issue with accuracy, even though he's not terribly mobile. Haven't we criticized Cam Newton in the past for like, God, he's just inaccurate. Josh Allen, the past, oh man, he could be inaccurate at times, despite the physical gifts. So I think for Trey Lance, he's got those, but you see the practice tape. Again, this is Kyle Shanahan we're talking about. We're talking about some of the, one of the brightest offensive coaches in the last two decades. It, just look at his list of quarterbacks, even when he was the offensive coordinator in Houston and Washington in Atlanta, and now the head coach of the Niners. See the numbers of the quarterbacks he's been with, with Kyle and without Kyle. It's night and day. He saw this kid for two and a half years, three years now, really. And he said, Brock Purdy's better. Sam Darnold's better. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kyle Shanahan knows just a just a tad more about football uh, than you and I do. I, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's exactly going out on a limb. So what's next for Trey Lance? Well, according to Ian Rappaport, and this came in when the news of Trey being demoted to QB three or being announced really as QB three, uh, Ian Rappaport tweeted, "Quote: As the 49ers weigh options for Trey Lance, calling his hometown team." The Minnesota Vikings, who are a rumored destination before the draft, makes sense. Nothing is impossible, but Minnesota has a backup in Nick Mullins and a drafted uh, rookie quarterback in Jaron Hall. Post-draft, these deals are harder. But, but, pro football focus, I'm sorry, pro football talk, excuse me, reported from April 19th that the 49ers talked to the Vikings about Trey Lance at the Combine. So all the way back in February, they were already having discussions with Minnesota about Trey Lance. Now, this is significant because Kirk Cousins, I didn't even know this until I read uh, this article, Kirk Cousins is moving to the last year of his deal. And we know Kirk is sort of the very definition of a slightly above average quarterback. He's absolutely good enough to get you to the playoffs. Whether he can win you a playoff game, he's only done that once in his career, and that was a few years ago against New Orleans. 
He's got a great roster, should say, shouldn't say great roster, a very talented offense, uh, a good head coach in Kevin O'Connell. So for Minnesota, listen, Detroit's only getting better. Green Bay, we'll see. Chicago undeniably got better uh, this offseason. It's a big year for Minnesota, not a year for them to win the Super Bowl or anything, but they need to get to the playoffs in order for Kirk to at least have a chance to keep his job. If they go 9-8, and eight, miss the playoffs, Kirk's out of there. So is Minnesota in a, pos- a position where they say, hey, we are not going to be bad enough to get a top five pick in the draft unless, obviously, we trade for one. But Kevin O'Connell is an excellent head coach. He comes from the Sean McVay tree. I think it's safe to say, as great of a coach as Sean McVay is, the Rams missed a lot of people last year in the in one of the most, probably the worst Super Bowl defense in the history of the NFL. But is it fair to say they missed their offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell? I think it's, I don't think I'm going out of limits saying that. You have a talented offensive coach, Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, all the, Jordan Addison, the kid they just drafted at USC, a solid offensive line, and a defense that I think will absolutely, it's hard to get much worse than they were last year. I believe they have the second worst pass defense in professional football. It was really bad. What did they do? They added Brian Flores. We know his, his history with defenses back in New England and with Miami. So the defense of Minnesota absolutely will be better this year. Petralian is in that position. He'll be four years in. Hopefully more developed. Listen, if you can't work with Kyle Shanahan, I have serious concerns about you. But, again, going back to what we are talking about with Anthony Richardson, he is pretty raw. So if you plug him in in Minnesota a year from now, sitting behind Kirk Cousins as the clear backup with a good offensive coach, maybe it works. As for San Francisco, look, I know there are some people in the Bay Area criticizing the 49ers today saying, hey, they never gave Trey Lance a chance. Well, year one, he wasn't ready. That was Jimmy G's job. And listen, I've never been a big Jimmy G guy. I think the Niners, I think the numbers bear themselves out pretty obviously. It's the 49ers who have gotten Jimmy G uh, to the conference championship game twice, not the other way around. But listen, Jimmy G was good for that system for the time that he was there. It was time to move on. That was talking about his rookie year. Year two, the Niners say, okay, we want to move Jimmy G. The problem is we kept Jimmy G because nobody wanted him. We're going to give the keys to Trey Lance. And Kyle Shanahan, I remember talking about this all offseason a year ago. We're going to give the keys to Trey Lance. It's his team. It's his offense. Has a pretty good preseason. And getting plays bad in that game against Chicago. Although, again, in his defense, I don't know of a quarterback, even Mahomes, who would have looked great in that rainstorm at Soldier Field in week one. Week two, bad luck, tears his ACL. Then you have Jimmy G. He starts, let's see, was it, uh, gosh, I think it was 10 games, 10 games, 11 games, uh, Jimmy G started. Had some solid performances, had some bad performances, some in-between Jimmy G performances. Goes down as well. And here comes Mr. Relevant, sturdy Brock Purdy. Goes undefeated in games he started and finished. And in that span, led the NFL in pass rating. You don't think, and by the way, Purdy himself got hurt. I don't know if it's, it's a curse in San Francisco. All their quarterbacks get hurt. I don't know what it is. But Brock Purdy basically rips his elbow in the NFC title game. Trey Lance is coming off of a surgery to heal his leg. So you're telling me that in, because they cleared Trey Lance right before training camp. You're telling me that in OTAs, in mini camps, all of the above, all the off-season training activities, et cetera, even moving into training camp, that not only could Trey Lance not 
separate himself from Brock Purdy, who was injured. He couldn't separate himself from Sam Darnold. Now, Sam Darnold himself was the third overall pick in the draft back in 2018. I remember loving Sam. I was clearly wrong on him in terms of being a franchise quarterback. That was what gave me the 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 the, the go-ahead to give the Jets a nickname, the place where young quarterbacks' dreams go to die. But it didn't work. But for Trey Lance to not beat Sam out, and Sam's fine. Sam's a, Sam's a good backup quarterback, but in that system, he worked better for Kyle Shanahan. Why? He can deliver passes on time and on target. By the way, Kyle has a history, and this is another reason I thought Trey Lance was going to work so, so well there. What does Kyle love? Mobile quarterbacks. He loves to move the pocket. He did so with a guy we look at as, especially this past year, had Indianapolis. We look at Matt Ryan as just this, this pocket quarterback sitting there like a statue and just you know throwing passes. He moved the pocket a lot with Matt Ryan. Go back and watch Falcon State from 2016. Matt Ryan moved more than I'd ever seen him move. That's why he loves Brock Purdy. Because Brock Purdy's more accurate than Trey Lance and just as mobile. Maybe not quite as mobile, but mobile enough. And if you're San Francisco, it's win now. Okay, Debo Samuel's starting to get older. George Kittle's getting older. Trent Williams is already into his mid-30s, even though he's still the best left tackle in the NFL. We got Nick Bosa in the holdout, so you got that situation going on. Some of our defensive starters getting older. Like, we got to strike while the iron's hot now, especially when you consider the fact that when you have the AFC, which is just stacked with quarterbacks, it only feels like a matter of time within the next, what, five years that's some more quarterbacks through the draft, probably starting with Caleb Williams, whether he goes to Arizona or Tampa, ends up in the NFC, and then you start, start sort of start to see a little bit more of a balance. So San Francisco's like, we can get to the Super Bowl with Trey Lance, and if, I'm sorry, with uh, Brock Purdy, and if we do get to the Super Bowl, let the chips fall where they may. We've got the best defensive league, some of the best offensive playmakers, and a great coach. Who knows? Jimmy G almost won a Super Bowl with this team. He gets Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. It can happen. But they can't. They did not have time. It's, it's 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 very similar to a team that's in the Bay Area, a team of which I'm a fan of, the Golden State Warriors. Jonathan Kaminga, I think, is going to be a star in the NBA. He has all the potential in the world, athleticism out the wazoo. But he's not ready, and he's not developed enough, and that's why he's barely gotten any playoff minutes whatsoever the last two years for Golden State, and why guys like, in 2022, Otto Porter, 2023, Gary Payton, guys like that, got far greater minutes. They were more ready. They were more developed. Play better within the Warriors system, given the fact they've been in the NBA a long time. The Warriors system, it's you got to have some smart basketball players to work with that. So I think it's, it's, it's funny that two Bay Area teams sort of dealing with the same dilemma, like excellent rosters, great coach, Really talented young players slash players. They're just not ready. So that's why I say I'm not willing to say yet that Trey Lance is a bust. Again, it is only, it's not like it's year six. If it's year six, he's been a backup for five years. That's a different story. But if he were to end up in Minnesota, he won't be the starter this year. That'll be Kirk's job. They decide to let Kirk walk. It'll free up a ton of cap space. Give the team to Trey Lance. I would assume they'd almost have to uh, to opt into his fifth-year option, given he was a first-round pick, and you want to give him a, a little bit of security. And see how he can work with some of the weapons he's got there with a the good coach, and you assume an improved defense. I don't know. I'm not quite willing to back off of Trey Lance quite yet, but I'm absolutely willing to back off the opinion, yeah, he's not going to have a better career than Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> that, is, that is not going to happen. I thought it was actually a pretty good take at the time, too. It's just... It's a shame. Also, something too. Um, I I don't like where a lot of people are going with this. I, I hate revisionist history. Hate it. 
when it's something, l- l- let me pull this up. So obviously Trey Lance was drafted in 2021. You had, uh, you had Zach Wilson, you had Trevor Lawrence go one uh, and Zach Wilson go number two. Trey Lance go number three. And people are talking about, oh, look at the 10 players that went after Trey Lance. Can you imagine if the what the 49ers would have been if they drafted any of these guys? Okay. Kyle Pitts went number four. They already had George Kittle. Jamar Chase went number five. They already had Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Jalen Waddle went number six. I reiterate, reiterate the point I just made. Panay Sewell, great tackle, went seventh. They already had Trent Williams. J.C. Horn, who hasn't panned out thus far in Carolina, San Francisco's fine in the secondary. Patrick Sertan, same thing. They're fine in the secondary. Number nine to Denver. Number 10, Devontae Smith to the Philadelphia Eagles. Wide receiver. They already had wide receivers. Ayuk and and, and Debo Samuel. They also had my man Juwan Jennings. And they also, uh, to, to pick 11, Justin Fields to the Chicago Bears. You could argue, hey, they should have taken Fields over Lance. Got to remember at the time, a lot more people are in on Lance than Fields. If you weren't one of those people, then that doesn't apply to you. But he was the far more coveted prospect. Number 12, Micah Parsons to the Dallas Cowboys. Again, they had Nick Bosa. They have Eric Armstead in the interior. Uh, they have Ken Law on, uh, on the interior as well. Like it's, we can do this revisionist history, but it's, it's like it drives me crazy when, uh, you know, people talk about, uh, like the, the Denver Nuggets, for example, when they won the championship, they were like, uh, nobody respects us. It's like, well, that's easy to say now because you won the championship. You'd never won before. As a matter of fact, don't get on us because that was kind of conventional wisdom in the NBA that Jokic was great, but probably was never going to lead you to a championship. Clearly, I and a lot of people were dead wrong. But let's not do this revision situation like, oh, look at this idiot back from, from a year ago. It's like, well, I mean, that, I wasn't in the minority with that opinion. If you want to cross me for t- picking Denver to win the Super Bowl, hey, knock yourself out. By the way, Rashawn Slater went 13th to the Chargers. I love Rashawn Slater. They already had Trent Williams. Like the Niners are, so, that's the thing. They're so stacked of a roster. John Lynch has done such an incredible job of acquiring great players through trades, drafting well. They needed a quarterback, and they they swung and missed with the third pick in 2021. Did they hit a home run? Maybe not a home run. Did they hit a ground rule double? In the because ground rule double has got to be a little bit of luck involved with that, right? And drafting Mister Relevant in 2022. I think so. I don't think Brock Purdy is ever going to be a superstar. I don't think he's ever going to be a top 10 guy. But is he top five in the NFC? Absolutely. I think Hertz is the best quarterback in the NFC. Dak second. Um, probably Goff third. Cousins fourth. And then it's between Geno and Purdy. I guess Daniel Jones maybe is in that discussion, although I'm kind of hesitant on that. So if you're top five in your conference... With that roster, you can absolutely win. Very curious. I'm, I'm pulling for Trey Lance. I've heard he's a good kid. Uh, I'm pulling for him to, to go to a situation where he, you know, has an opportunity to succeed. It just wasn't, it wasn't meant to be in San Francisco. It was a win now roster with a prospect at quarterback. That would be like if the Philadelphia Eagles, let's say they didn't have Jalen Hurts, but they had the roster that they have. That'd be if they drafted Anthony Richardson and he didn't quite pan out as quickly as they wanted to. Well, he's probably not going to because he needs some time to develop. Philly's like, we don't have time for him to develop. We, we got this roster uh, with, with a lot of great players now. We got to struggle with the iron's hot. San Francisco's in that position. 
Don't blame them for moving on from Trey. We're rooting for Trey in the future, uh, and I understand them going with Darnold as the backup. But ultimately, listen, knock on wood, Purdy stays healthy because if Sturdy Purdy's healthy, I think that's the best team in football, not just the NFC. Whether they'll win the Super Bowl or not is another question because that, that guy in Kansas City is still around, and there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the other conference. We'll see. But as far as roster, I think San Francisco is easily the best. I mean, they literally, literally don't have a weakness. Again, end of the show, sorry, second to last segment of the show, about 15, 20 minutes from now, I'm going to do AFC North strengths and weaknesses. Whenever I get down to the NFC West and I get to San Francisco, I, I guess strength, everything, weakness, uh, quarterback health, I mean, that's that's it. That, I mean, I, great coach, very good quarterback, great running back, great offensive line, great tight end, great receivers, uh, great uh, defensive line, great linebacker, great safety. I like the kicker they drafted from Michigan. I mean, like, I, I don't really know uh, what, what they're, <laughs> I don't know, uh, turf? Maybe that's their weakness. I don't think the Niners play. No, sir, no, the Niners actually play on grass. So just hope they don't have to go to Detroit or anything in the playoffs. If that's not the case, they should be fine. Okay, so Jets are in hard knocks this year. And Randall Cobb, who the Jets added, obviously, at the request of Aaron Rodgers, as has been the case with Alan Lazard. Even Adrian Amos, the safety, left the Packers and, and, and joined the Jets. I, 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 my sister's a Packers fan, and she was, she was not happy about any of those moves. That's okay. But Randall Cobb's a Jet. And listen, if I heard somebody say today, if Randall Cobb is an impact playmaker for the Jets, they've got some serious problems. Uh, because listen, I love Randall Cobb, great dude. His prime, he was one of the better slot receivers in the game, was one of the better kind of do-it-all. He was sort of like a poor man's Debo Samuel. If you look back 2014, he had an excellent year with the Packers. He's with the Jets in more of a leadership capacity. And they've shown the Jets wide receivers, and they got, obviously, Garrett Wilson is is is, is the guy. You're talking about, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, um, Mikkel Hardman's there. They had... <laughs> Keyword, Corey Davis, who just retired today, ironically, after this episode just aired. And Randall Cobb was talking to the wide receivers, and he he was he was saying, uh, quote, if he don't trust you, he being Aaron Rodgers, if he don't trust you, he not go throw you the ball. Which I have, listen, I, I don't think I'm in the minority when I say this. I've been one of many who's talked about like how Aaron has been. And by the way, uh, Randall Cobb also said in that quote that he doesn't like to throw interceptions. The statement by itself is not a bad thing. Who Nobody likes to throw picks. Nobody likes to throw the ball to the other team. But that statement, Randall Cobb knows Aaron Rodgers as well as anybody. That statement plays to a bigger concern, a bigger criticism that I've always had of Aaron Rodgers. I've, I've always said, I think up until Mahomes, I thought he was the most talented quarterback that I'd ever seen. I think he's a top 10 quarterback in the history of the game. There's no question about it. His accolades speak for themselves. But the, the being kind of timid at times to take shots down the field, like you'd be shocked about how like the list of quarterbacks of the past few years with you know deep shots down the field, Rodgers is great when he's taking shots, because he's got a massive arm and he's accurate in that regard. He just doesn't take a lot of them. I mean, he really doesn't. And so he's been very hesitant to, 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 to turn the football over. 
I thought Colin Cowherd made an interesting point today saying that, hey, Aaron Rodgers isn't as accomplished as Tom Brady, and so stats may maybe mean more to him. They mean more to guys who don't have rings. Like, points are going to mean a lot more to Carmelo Anthony than they are to LeBron James, even though LeBron's the all-time leading scorer. Different priorities are, are, are mean different things for different people. Corey Davis retired today. I don't think that's a lot of people minimize like, ah, Corey Davis, you know, he's a, he's kind of a bust. He was a top 10 pick in 2017 uh, by the Tennessee Titans, never panned out into what they wanted him to be. And so it's, it's been a lot of people, a lot of people crapping on Corey Davis today. I don't think it's nothing. Corey Davis did after all have 500 yards with incompetence at the quarterback position. We going on about Garrett Wilson having over a thousand yards. Cause it's like, man, this, this two came from Ohio state. He's got Ohio state talent. They have nothing at quarterback. And, and he's, 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 he's putting that up numbers. He's putting up. So what's he going to do with Aaron Rodgers? And Aaron Rodgers just raves about Garrett. He loves Garrett Wilson. So those two are going to have an incredible uh, tandem and connection this year. But the issue I have is not with what Randall Cobb said. Randall Cobb is just telling the truth. I didn't have an issue at all with what Randall, Randall Cobb said. It's the interception quote saying that, hey, he doesn't like to throw interceptions, guys. Like, And if he doesn't trust you, he's not going to throw you the ball. I remember ripping Aaron Rodgers the, the next day after they lost to the Vikings in week one last year. Uh, when remember the first play of the game, first play of Christian Watson's NFL career, Aaron Rodgers takes a bomb shot, a rare shot down the field, down the right sideline. He could not have thrown it better. If he ran up, he could have put a better ball placement. If he had, ha- if he had run up 50 yards down the field and handed the ball to Christian Watson, it was that beautiful of a throw. They got the coverage. They want Christian Watson's a speedster beat the corner of man-to-man coverage, and it went right through his hands. I think it was man-to-man coverage. Went right through his hands. He dropped it, and Aaron refused to throw him the ball up until, I think, the fourth quarter. you got to build a trust with Aaron Rodgers that maybe you don't have to build with other quarterbacks. That's the reality of him. I've loved the attitude shift from Aaron. Love it, but that's the reality of Aaron Rodgers. And so Cobb repeating this, and now you have the retirement of Corey Davis, and there's been some... Aside from Rodgers and Garrett Wilson, there's been a little bit of a disconnect. Not in terms of from a leadership standpoint, as we've seen in the past, but from a chemistry standpoint between Rodgers and the receivers. Some of that is to be expected. It's his first year there. It's the uh, unfamiliarity with the wide receivers. And that's going to be something, again, listen, the Jets have as brutal an opening schedule as you could possibly have. Uh, again, they go to they, they got Buffalo at home in week one. They go to Dallas in week two and beyond that. I think the Jets are probably going to go three and three at best in that stretch and then get hot at the end of the year because the end of their schedule is, 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 is a breeze. But it's something. The Corey Davis retirement is not, it, it isn't nothing. That's all I'll say. I, I, I did, listen, we talked a lot of Jets, a lot of Jets uh, the, 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 throughout the offseason, throughout training camp. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not saying I'm selling my Jets stock. And listen, I never, there was never, even at my highest point of the Jets this offseason, there was never a point in which I said they can win the Super Bowl. They can win the NFC. I think if everything goes absolutely perfect for the Jets, they're in the AFC title game. Today, I have them getting in as like the six or seven seed. Depending on the matchup, maybe stealing a playoff game against Cincinnati. I don't really know what to do with Cincinnati right now. Frankly, I don't think Vegas knows what to do with Cincinnati. Last I checked, all the Bengals games, the lines aren't available because they're just waiting to see. We're all waiting to see what, what Joe Burrow's health looks like. 
And so in the games he misses, what's Cincinnati's record going to look like? So, and when he comes back, is he hundred percent healthy? We assume he's going to, he's going to take it easy. He's going to not come back until he's, he's hundred percent ready to go. But if they were to match up against Cincinnati, listen, they've missing their two safety. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I thought Randall Cobb said it was very interesting. It was, it, was, it was very interesting. I looked at that. I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's one way to look at it. He's right. I don't disagree with him at all, but we'll see what happens with the Jets this season. By the way, for our next segment, uh, before the a- AFC North strengths and weaknesses, I just want to say once again, if you have not watched the 8 o'clock spot, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. 8 o'clock spot on the Grid Network, Tuesday nights at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time. It's the best game show you'll ever see in the history of game shows. I'm not exaggerating. Sort of. Uh, but listen, 8 o'clock spot, it's about a half hour. It's not like a, the typical carving it up show where you go an hour, hour and a half, depending on the show. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, all the biggest stories in the world of sports. We have t- t- two to three to four rounds, three to four rounds where we'll have three to four contestants going at it. Uh, they get their two-minute takes to to give their opinions and everything going on in the world of sports. I, my friends, and the judge of said uh, quotes and and takes. And so, uh, you know, it's nice being that power seat. Barry Grant Jr. of the All Even Podcast is is as as a. Uh, one, two of the last three games. Tune in eight Eastern, five Pacific time, right here on the Grid Network. Definitely gonna, definitely gonna continue to build that because it's it, it's been fun. Eight o'clock spot once again. I'll show the show it on for the podcast. Or I'll read it off the podcast audience, and you see it right there on your screen uh, on YouTube and Twitter. Eight o'clock spot, eight Eastern, five Pacific time on the Grid Network. Let's move to the AFC North. Which, ironically, it's funny we're talking about the AFC North was just ranked today. Uh, by esteemed publication as the toughest division in the NFL, which it's interesting to hear such a, you know, uh, a, an accurate quote, something that I've said since uh, all off season. I mean, if the Cleveland Browns, who I believe to be the, the worst team in that division, if that's your worst team, a team that a lot of folks, I shouldn't say a lot, many are taking to, I shouldn't say many, <laughs> some are taking to make the playoffs. Then Deshaun Watson could bounce back. It's a good roster. They got a good run game, good defense. Miles Garrett, maybe they can sneak in. Uh, if that's your worst team in your division, I mean, you look at the NFC West, the other side, Arizona, again, I'm thinking, I'm not even joking, folks. I think max, max two wins. I think they're one of the worst football teams that I've seen uh, in my time co- uh, covering the NFL and carving it up. It, it, they are, oof. Aside from Buda Baker, man, it's, it's bad. It's real bad. They're going to be in the Caleb Williams business uh, pretty, pretty soon. Okay, so AFC North. So we're talking Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, and Browns. And let's just put on the background music. Here we go. AFC North, strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and we will start. Their biggest strength. I had to think about this one for a little bit because I got a lot of strengths. Uh, but I, I, I settled on this one. Easily the best quarterback and skill position pairing in the sport. Joe Burrow's resume speaks for itself. Back-to-back AFC Championship game appearances in seasons that he started and finished. He's been in the MVP discussion in both seasons. Certainly was uh, last year. He's probably the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. More mobile than we give him credit for. 
and he's got about as loaded a receiving core as you could possibly have. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Uh, got a good tight end there. He's got Joe Mixon at running back. He's got an improved offensive line with Orlando uh, Brown coming in at left tackle. Listen, Cincinnati is a team that we, it's crazy to think about what an elite quarterback talent can do for how we view you as a franchise. Two years ago at this time, we looked at Cincinnati like, ah, they're, they're seven, eight wins, same old Bengals. Maybe they get in the playoffs, but they'll be one and done, just like the, the Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton era, just one and done in the playoffs over and over and over. Now, now we view Cincinnati Bengals as a lot of folks are picking to go to the Super Bowl. It's it's amazing what an elite quarterback can do, and it's just another opportunity for me to say how how dead wrong I was on Joe Burrow. Like I, I was like, he's he's fine. I don't think he's number one pick worthy. I was clearly wrong on that. Their biggest weakness, though, the Cincinnati Bengals' biggest weakness, is that the secondary has concerns due to injuries and free agency. So, this past off season. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, really suffered some devastating losses in the back end of their secondary, losing Von, Mel, Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Now, they drafted a kid, I think, out of Alabama uh, to replace one of those guys, although today I don't think he's at the top of their depth chart. So, second, by the way, Chidabe Awuzie, who's their number one corner, is coming back due to in, uh, coming back from injury. Is he able to get back to what he was pre-injury? We'll see. He was very good for them in that Super Bowl run, uh, playing against Tyree Kill and company. And T. Higgins, uh, more specifically, is more of a physical corner. So, listen, Cincinnati does have a ton of weaknesses. I love their front four. Even their front seven is good. It's the back end of their secondary that I think gives me cause uh, cause for pause. Uh, and so we'll see what happens with the Bengals. But obviously, all of that goes all that goes to hell if Joe Burrow is, is a healthy. So that that's a wait-and-see situation. To the Baltimore Ravens, who, as much as it pains me as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I look at this team as a Super Bowl contender. I'm sorry. I think they got significantly better in the offseason. So here's their strength. And they got many, but their biggest strength. With the addition of a legit of legit outside weapons, Lamar is the hardest quarterback to game plan for outside of Patrick Mahomes. He's that great. You say, oh, Lamar Jackson, he's only got one playoff win. <laughs> yeah, he's also won 75% of his games. And uh, just a little note uh, fact uh, for uh, Baltimore Ravens uh, from this past season. Um, when Lamar Jackson is out of the Ravens lineup, they average 12 points. When he's in the Ravens lineup, they average 25 points. So they double it. You add Zay Flowers. Did who did you see Zay Flowers in that preseason game against Washington? I know it's just preseason, but God, God it, he looks good. I loved him out of Boston College. He's a very he, he reminds me a lot of, of Devontae Adams in a certain respect. So you got that outside weapon. You got a healthy OBJ. You got Mark Andrews coming back. You got J.K. Dobbins. You got an offensive line. Rashad Bateman. You got a really good receiving core, an excellent offensive line, a very productive running back, and Lamar Jackson. By the way, a great defense as well. What's their weakness, however? When Lamar's out, the Ravens' offense is barely functional. Again, back to what I was saying, averaging 12 points a game without him, 25 with him. Uh, listen, Tyler Huntley's a, 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 listen, he's, he's a perfect quarterback for Lamar Jackson from a stylistic standpoint. You always want your backup quarterback to be very similar to your starter. Uh, that's why I thought RG3 was a perfect backup for Lamar about three years ago. You know, Brian Hoyer was always Tom Brady's backup for the longest time, very stylistically you know, the same. And so I, th- I think for Lamar Jackson, it's going to be a matter of whether or not he's able to stay healthy. He got his bag. He got his weapons. He's got he's got as good of a chance to compete for a Super Bowl, albeit in a loaded AFC, as he's ever had. Like, when I'm looking at contenders in the AFC, of course, you have the defending champs. You have Cincinnati if Burrow's healthy. I think Jacksonville's a contender. 
And I think Baltimore is in that spot. I do not trust Buffalo whatsoever. I don't really trust anybody in the AFC East as a contender right now. Absolutely going with the Baltimore Ravens in that regard uh, to compete for potentially a Super Bowl. And if Lamar Jackson's healthy, they absolutely can do that. But he's got to stay healthy, and that's been an issue the last two years. He's ended the season injured. Moving on to my Pittsburgh Steelers. What's our biggest strength? We've got many, but what's our biggest strength? It's that the defense is good enough to give them a chance to win every single game. How about this, folks? In the last seven weeks of the regular season, the Pittsburgh Steelers did not give up 20 points to any of their last seven opponents. Not even the Raiders, who had Hunter Renfro and Monte Adams and Josh Jacobs. Not them. Not Cleveland, who had Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper and all those weapons. Joku. Not any of those teams. Last seven weeks of the season. T.J. Watt, Nika Fitzpatrick, Highsmith, the guy they just gave an extension to, excellent pass rusher. Joey Porter, the kid they drafted in the second round, I think is going to be a star in the NFL. He should have been a first-round pick. Thank God he fell to Pittsburgh. Uh, Listen, we know the Steelers' identity for their entire history, certainly in the Super Bowl era, has been defense dating back to the 70s with the Steel Curtain, led by the great mean Joe Green. You think about the defenses of the modern times, led by James Harrison. Uh, they've had some great defensive players playing that organization. Great offensive players as well. But that defense, every game they play, even against your Mahomes and your Burrows and your Allens and your Rodgers, they can keep you in those games because they're that elite of a defense or that deep of a defense. And it's Mike Tomlin we're talking about who's one of the defensive masterminds uh, in the modern NFL. Their weakness, however, and it's a legitimate one, the offensive line has struggled in the past few years. Now, some of that is the fact that Ben Roethlisberger uh, was the quarterback up until this year, and he, after injuries and not really taking care of his body, sort of caught up to him, became the definition of a statue in the pocket, completely immobile, arms kind of shot, not able to take shots down the field. And so when you look at that Steelers offensive line, there's only so much they had to work with. Now, they improved it in the draft, going and getting Broderick Jones. So that should help with Kenny Pickett, with Najee Harris, the running game, etc. cetera. Uh, that is something they have struggled with in the past. So if the offensive line is right, I think Kenny Pickett's going to have a big year. I think George Pickett's going to have a huge year. I think the Steelers are going to go 11-6 and six and win a playoff game. I'm always buying doing this 12-5 and five as time has gone on. But I'm, 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 I'm being conservative. I'm going to be conservative. Moving the Browns, though. Got the graphic up right there. Moving to the Cleveland Browns. Their biggest strength is that the running game is among the most dangerous in the National Football League. They have undeniably a top two to three offensive line in the NFL. Pro Football Focus has them as the second best offensive line in the NFL with stars everywhere. Pro Bowl level players, all pro players everywhere. And of course, I got Nick Chubb, who's a top five running back in the National Football League. Led the NFL in rushing not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. I think he finished second last year to Josh Jacobs. That offensive line is going to give them plenty of time. And listen, that running game, again, we talk about running games are not going to put you a lot closer to competing for a Super Bowl, for making the playoffs, but... In the case of the Cleveland Browns, with the Deshaun Watson, who we'll see if he's able to get back to the old Deshaun, that's going to help them in the long run. Listen, they have a, they had a lot of quarterback turmoil over the past couple of years with Baker Mayfield regressing, and they had was didn't Case Keenum start, not Case Keenum somebody else one of these career backups started a game for him in the past. Uh, Jacoby Brissett started eleven games from last year in Deshaun's suspension. Been a lot of turmoil at the quarterback position, um, but that running game is always something they can rely on, and when they're in the lead, very hard to stop. The biggest weakness, though, the Cleveland Browns' biggest weakness, it's a question mark, really. Deshaun's avail- uh, I'm sorry, Deshaun's ability to get back to Houston Deshaun is a massive question mark. 
We're talking about Houston, Deshaun. This was a guy who in 2020 was probably the best quarterback in football. And that sounds weird given that he played on a 4-12 team, a 4-12 Houston Texans team. But there's a reason his market was as high as it was before the off-field stuff came to fruition, came to light. But listen, he's he's. we know the talent he was at Clemson. We know he had a very successful first few years in Houston. But the suspension, the time off, him uh, putting himself in a position to, to really set himself back, that's what I worry about to the Cleveland Browns. That's ultimately the reason that I don't think they're a playoff team. But it's the AFC North. It's it's it's, it's a team loaded with – sorry, it's a division loaded with excellent teams. I think the division has two Super Bowl contenders, one surefire team to make the playoffs in Pittsburgh, and one potential sleeper in the Cleveland Browns. Can you imagine – this isn't going to happen, but can you imagine if all four teams in the AFC North made the playoffs? There's an avenue for that to happen. I mean, I remember there was a point last year – and to New England did, you know, New England things. Uh, and the Jets did Jets things. There's a point in time in which all four AFC East teams were going to make the playoffs last year. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not. Even, there was even the, a point where the NFC East, all four teams were in the playoff picture last year. So it's it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think only three, uh, I shouldn't say only three, I think three of the teams uh, have a great chance of getting in. So let's recap real quick before we get to carving up the context. Strength, biggest strength of the Cincinnati Bengals is that they have easily the best quarterback and skill position pairing in the sport. The Bengals' weakness is that the secondary is concerns due to injury and injuries and free agency to the Baltimore Ravens. Their biggest strength is that with the addition of legit outside weapons, Lamar is the hardest quarterback to game plan for outside of Mahomes. Their biggest weakness is that when Lamar's out, the Ravens' offense is barely functional, again, only averaging 12.5 points per game. Moving on to my Steelers, our biggest strength is that the defense is good enough to give us a chance to win every single game, as evidenced by the last seven games of last year. The biggest weakness, though, however, is that the offensive line has struggled in the past few years. Hopefully, we've upgraded and fixed that to a certain extent. And finally, the Cleveland Browns running game is amongst the most da- is among the most dangerous in the NFL. The Browns' weakness, Deshaun's available. Keep saying availability. Deshaun's ability to get back to quote unquote Houston, Deshaun, is a big question mark. That is my weaknesses and my strengths for the AFC North, the toughest division in football. On Friday, again, carving up the context in just a second, but on Friday, we will get to the NFC North. So we're talking uh, Vikings, Lions, Packers, Bears. That's a, that's a strange division. I'm almost, nine, I'm like 99% convinced that the Lions are going to be in the playoffs. I am 50% convinced they're going to be the NFC Championship game, as I've said all offseason. Minnesota, I don't know really what to do with them. Chicago, I like them. They got better, particularly at the offensive line. It's just congested fields make that big year three leap. We'll see. And they have a solid coach in Ibraflus. And as for the Packers, well, albeit it was an injured Aaron Rodgers, but they failed to qualify for the playoffs with him. Jordan Love's looked good in the preseason. Maybe talk a little bit more Jordan Love uh, throughout the rest of the preseason, but we don't have a ton of regular season game tape to really judge him off of. And there's a reason. If he would have popped at practice, I remember there's been some Mahomes comparisons for Jordan Love, uh, which is, uh, I don't get that one. But people talk about how, hey, Jordan Love is is, is the is the next, he's the next guy in the, the line of great Green Bay Packer quarterbacks. Well, if that was the case, why didn't he start over a clearly regressed Aaron Rodgers last year? That's my, my only question. That's all I'm saying. I don't know, is it, is it a... Unfair question to ask, uh, Cheeseheads. I'm just saying. NFC North, though, on Friday's show, strengths and weaknesses. So there's the AFC North. Okay. I love this segment. 
It is time for the best week midweek segment in all of sports. It's carving up the context. Roll the clip, baby. On this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, it just so happens to involve a man who I would argue the majority of people, matter of fact, polls have showed, the majority of people believe is the world's greatest basketball player, not just the world's greatest basketball player, the greatest player in the history of the game of basketball, and that is one Michael Jordan. So, we've had this discussion, I've had it on my show, we did it on the 8 o'clock spot last night. All of these shows are talking about because this is the dead space in the NBA uh, schedule, the 365-day calendar for the NBA. There's nothing to talk about, really. The Dane trade talks have pretty much stalled. We're still waiting on that. Hasn't been a whole lot happening in the NBA. So when Steph Curry, when asked by Gilbert Arenas if he was the best point guard of all time, Steph, and I appreciate him for doing this, not this false humility nonsense, saying, yeah, yeah, I'm the best point guard of all time. There's been a lot of pushback. And I'm what obviously I'm a huge Steph fan because I'm a Warriors fan. Steph made me fall in love with the game of basketball in 2013. But when you talk about the, the discussion of being the greatest point guard ever, I still got magic ever so slightly above Steph. But for some reasons that I detailed on Monday's show, don't have a ton of time to get into today. I think if Steph gets another title, he passes Magic Johnson. Well, Michael Jordan, according to Stephen A. Smith this morning, I'll play the clip for you on first take. Uh MJ adamantly disagrees. There was one error in what he said to Stephen A. Uh, in a text, but uh, l- l- let's go ahead and play the clip for for you. What uh, what Michael Jordan allegedly text to Stephen A. Stephen A. read it off this morning on ESPN First Take. Take a listen. I have to read you a text that I received this morning at five fifty four a.m. Good morning, sir. Although greatest of anything is always a debate, I beg to differ on greatest point guard of all time with what you said. Magic Johnson is easily the best point guard of all time. Steph Curry is very close, but not in front of Magic. You must define point guard to really have a serious debate. Steph Curry is by far the best shooter of all time. Yes, his movement has created many shots for his teammates. He's a career 43% three-point shooter. But Magic Johnson invented the triple-double. Not true invented, but makes it more noticeable in terms of the impact on the game. It's a point guard stat, to be honest. Magic was the best. We can go on, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you get the point. By the way, Magic has five NBA championships. Wow. That quote this morning at 545 was from Mr. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Wow. How about that? And he asked me, he asked me to read it on the air. He said, I'm not backing up for it. He said, I'm tired of this argument about Magic Johnson not being the best point guard in the history of the game. He is the best point guard in the history of basketball. That is from Michael Jordan. Okay. So again, Stephen A says that Michael Jordan texted in this, uh, this quote this morning. And listen, Michael's entitled to his opinion like everybody else said. Michael, according to the text, if it is Michael, made some great points. 
is that when you talk about the triple-double, Magic was sort of the first guy to sort of make it uh, sexy. Oscar Robertson played before Magic. Oscar had the triple-double record, of course, before Westbrook broke it a couple of years ago. But it was really Magic who sort of made it like a thing. Like, people talked about the triple-double. Magic Johnson did it. You've had Jason Kidd. You've had LeBron James. You've had, obviously, Russ. A lot of great players who have really uh, redefined what that means. But Magic was sort of the first guy to do it. Um it was one sort of error in what my MJ said. I don't want to be too picky here, but he was saying Magic Johnson's the greatest point guard and it's not even close. And then he went on to say something along the lines of Steph isn't far off. It's like, well, that's kind of inconsistent. Be that as it may. I was thinking about this, carving up the context. And the context is among all time great players, I'm talking guys who are in the Mount Rushmore discussion. I don't think anybody has a harder time embracing the younger generation than Michael Jordan. LeBron, even LeBron. LeBron's in the on Mount Rushmore, no question about it. He's in the GOAT discussion. I think he is the GOAT. He's minimum in the GOAT discussion. Even the younger guys coming up today, he raves, raves about Luka Doncic. And he raves about John Morant. And so these other young, talented guys come in. It goes on and on about them. Remember, even when Tay, remember Taylor Horton Tucker and all that stuff when he played for the Lakers, he's like, oh, Taylor's next in line. You know, THT's next in line. Now, here he comes. He, he always gives the younger generation their flowers. Magic Johnson goes on and on about some of the young guys that he loves LeBron. Goes on and on about Steph. Love some of the guys, young, younger guys of today's you know, generation. Sort of the millennials in the NBA. Even, even younger than that. You talk about Larry Bird. I saw Larry Bird. There's a quote from him the other day, and he was talking about, man, I hate seeing how guys of, of my time just talk bad and badmouth the, the, the guys of today. He said the game of basketball has never been in a better place from a talent perspective. Bird gives the younger generation their flowers. Uh, you talk about Shaq loves, oh, my God, loves Steph Curry. Loves LeBron James. Now, he played with LeBron James. But he he goes on and on about some of the guys uh, currently. He's a little hard on the big, big men, guys like Jokic and Embiid. But everybody else, uh, he, he, he's been very praiseworthy of. And Kobe was as well. Kobe was very praiseworthy of some. Remember what he said about Damian Lillard? He saw Damian Lillard coming before a lot of us did. He played him. He's like, oh, this, this kid's got it. We see what Dame is now. MJ really doesn't do that. Michael Jordan, uh, let's just say, not just in terms of how he has... Uh, not embrace the younger generation. Let's just say when it comes to, and I hate to bring this up, actually don't, but when it comes to having an eye for talent, uh, it ain't great. It ain't great. When he was the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, here's his draft history. So in 2006, six, uh, he took Adam Morrison in 2007. He took Jared Dudley. 2008, he took DJ Augustine and Alexis Agensa. In 2009, he took Gerald Henderson and in 2011, he took Bismack Biombo and Kemba Walker over Clay Thompson and Kawhi Leonard. 2012, he took Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And in 2013, he took Cody Zeller. 2014, he took Noah Vonley, PJ Hairston. 2015, he took Frank Kaminsky. 2015, he took, yeah, 2015, Frank Kaminsky. 2017, he took Malik Monk, who's proved to be a good player, just not with Charlotte. 2018, Miles Bridges. 2019, PJ Washington. 2020, one of the feuds that's panned out, LaMelo Ball. 2021, James Booknight and Kai Jones. 2015, Mark Williams. Uh, not great. 
<laughs> a lot of those guys were us. By the way, again, if you look at some of the guys he took above certain other dudes, he took G- uh, Augustine over Brooke Lopez. He took uh, – there was also the, the worst incident of this was when Jordan reportedly rejected an offer of four first-round picks from the Boston Celtics in order uh, – they wanted Frank Kaminsky. Four first-round picks he rejected. One of those first-round picks ended up becoming Jalen Brown. Think they could have used Jalen Brown in Charlotte? I think they probably could have. By the way, he took Marco Bellinelli in 2016. He should trade their first round pick for Marco Bellinelli, rather. He drafted Link Monk over Donovan Mitchell and Bam out of bio in 2017. He swapped the number 11 pick, which was Shea Gilgis Alexander, and took uh, Bridges over Tyler Hero in 2019. Again, hasn't been great. <laughs> it's, it's not so. Again, we talk about context, and we talk about how. Uh, and, and again, I don't think this is relevant to the goat discussion, but it bothers me. I, I, I think Dr. J did it to a horrible degree with 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 Kevin Durant. But most, if not all, of the Mount Rushmore caliber guys, God rest his soul, the right great Bill Russell did as well. Talk on and on about Kobe Bryant and LeBron and some of these younger guys. MJ is one of the very few who refuse to do it, who refuse to give LeBron his love. Matter of fact, remember when LeBron James, I wish I could forget it, but I can't because it was the 2016 finals, which still scars me as a Warriors fan, the 3-1 comeback by the Cavs. Remember, Cavs come back from 3-1 down. LeBron drops 41 in game five, 41 in game six, and a triple-double in game seven, including the most iconic defensive play in the history of basketball. Beats a 73-9 team, delivers Cleveland a championship. And it, a feat I thought was impossible. It took LeBron James himself to do that. The film cameras had gotten footage from the last dance season of 1998. But Michael Jordan never wanted it released. Until LeBron won in 2016. And that was the first time that people started talking about, like, timeout. That dude may be the GOAT. This is a conversation now. LeBron Jordan, this is a real conversation. The second Jordan got wind of that, he went to ESPN. He said, let's put out this documentary. Let's put it together. Put together a documentary. We'll, I'll do the interview. Interview my teammates, whatnot. Let's put this thing out. The second he felt threatened, he put out the documentary. He's been standoffish with Scotty. He refuses to talk to Charles Barkley, who was once his best friend. And we all know the rivalry between him and Isaiah, which continues to this day. As a GM, a de facto GM, he was terrible. And when it comes to giving the young players their flowers, and Michael Jordan never, ever comes out. When Anytime we talk about these debates, whether it's LeBron or Jordan or somebody else, Magic Steph, he felt so offended by that. He went to Stephen A. Smith, the face of ESPN, according to Stephen A., and said, oh my gosh, how could you possibly? How could this possibly be a debate? Very interesting. And I, I think it's it's kind of become on. Listen, we can talk about Jordan. He very well may be the greatest play, player of all time. I think it's LeBron. You can make a very, very strong case, obviously, for Michael Jordan in that spot. Could I, dare I say, read into it a little bit more and say, Magic's legacy is etched in stone. There's nothing he can do to add to it. There's nothing he can do to subtract from it. Steph, 
It's still being molded as we speak right now. Steph is not done. Steph is still at age 35 next season. Toward the end of the season, he'll be 36. Still looks like he's at his prime. And uh, Michael probably isn't threatened by Steph in the GOAT discussion. But he knows Magic was close there for a while. Magic pre before Michael became Jumpman, Air Jordan, the whole bit, and all the branding in the 90s. Magic Johnson had a very serious case to be the greatest player of all time. I think he's since been surpassed by Kobe. I think he never was able to surpass Kareem. He's obviously been surpassed as well by Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Do you think that because he felt like Mac Magic was one of his true contemporaries, one of the guys who he felt like really could see him eye to eye, and people talking about Steph potentially passing Magic, he feels a bit threatened? I don't know. Not so much as he did when LeBron won that championship, but Again, just like I talked about the Jets wide receiver situation, Corey Davis retiring, it isn't nothing. It's 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 something. I'm just throwing that out there. And that is this week's edition of Carving Up the Context. Hope you guys appreciated it. Uh, before we get out of here, though, we a uh, couple things super fast. One is not breaking news, but just an update. And one is something I wanted to say uh, toward the end. Uh, according to uh, Dov Kleiman, the Philadelphia Eagles, wow, have reportedly discussed a trade for Jonathan Taylor. The Eagles have been, quote, among among the aggressive, most aggressive suitors for Taylor per the report. I'm sorry, um, Evan Massey was the first to report this. Uh, covers the NFL. So the Philadelphia Eagles have been aggressive for Jonathan Taylor. Hmm. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't love it for Philly. I don't, again... I don't know if it puts them a heck of a lot closer to winning a Super Bowl, but we'll see. Listen, Howie Roseman knows a lot more about football than I do. He, he's made some decisions in the past, like, what are you doing? And they end up being genius. So I'll roll with Howie on this one. We'll see. Also, before we get out of here, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that today is or would have been Kobe Bryant's 45th birthday. Black Mamba himself, born on uh, August 23rd of 1978. And tomorrow, of course, it's as, as we know, Kobe's birthday, October 23rd, and Mama Day the next day, because he wore 8 and 24, so 8, 24, you have that, Mama Day. And I, I, ju- I just want to, because again, Mama Day tomorrow, and I'll do a show on Friday, so we won't be able to do a show on Mama Day. I was thinking about it from the perspective of, I saw this quote, this clip from Kobe Bryant on Instagram, and I put it on uh, on my IG stories. About how, and I, it's, it's kind of a message I wanted to to share today. That, and sometimes it's a message for myself as a content creator, and then for you, whether you're a content creator or you're in another field where you're you're trying to to, to make yourself known and trying to to put yourself out there. And Kobe's talking about like the biggest the biggest reason people don't succeed is not necessarily because they don't try; it's because they do try, and when they don't see results immediately, they stop. They stop, and. I just wanted to use that as an opportunity to say to all of you watching, all of you listening, if you're pursuing something, it's getting a little little rough, a little hairy, you're not seeing the results you think you should be seeing, it will come. You put the work in, it'll come. You get out what you put in, as the old saying goes. So it's just just, just a mama quote for the day. Rest in peace to Kobe Bryant. Um, again, today would have been his 45th birthday. Tomorrow is Mamba Day. And so... Um, 
uh, may God rest the souls of Kobe and Gigi and, and all those who were lost. And of course that terrible, uh, helicopter crash three and a half years ago. So still, I, I was actually thinking about this a couple weeks ago. Like it, it, I swear folks, it still doesn't feel right that he's gone to so this. It still didn't feel right. Um, so yeah, today would have been his 45th birthday. And uh, I think it's a very important message he shared in his retirement. And I think it's a message that is, of course, very, very applicable to all of us in all situations, uh, especially for those who are pursuing a dream. And so, uh, Kobe, listen, Kobe's got some gems. There's no question about that. A lot of great podcast interviews, a lot of great interviews, especially towards the end of his career when he became sort of like a mentor to a lot of people. So it's, you know, his, his, his legacy, there's no question we'll live on. That goes without saying. So rest in peace to Kobe Bryant and everybody else. And with that, that's all the time after today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, again, first Wednesday show on our new schedule. Carving It Up Live will be Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Same time as usual, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. We certainly would be delighted here at The Grid if we are amongst your favorite podcasts, amongst the rotation of your favorite favorite podcasts. We got some great shows. Again, sort of the uh, the game show of The Grid Network, the 8 o'clock spot. I'll put up the logo one more time for you uh, here on YouTube and on Twitter. The 8 o'clock spot, Tuesday nights at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time, right here on The Grid Network's YouTube channel and The Grid Network's uh, Twitter handle, X handle, whatever the heck. And it's a great game show. Having a blast. Uh, last night's show was, was incredible. Please check it out uh, and tune in next week. So, Hope everybody has a great week. I'll see you on Friday. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, 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 especially in the state here in the state of Tennessee, be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence here in America. Again, God bless those in Tennessee who are here in my home state for for fighting for just that. See you on Friday. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Hopefully, I don't. This isn't the last time I do this, but uh, one more time, Poppy. Yankees lose. <laughs> Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live, as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.